When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 318, and today we are talking about books being released on July 6, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Danica, hello! Hello! How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, I did not go to bed last night, so oh, I no. don't know what's going to happen while we're recording today. <laughs> We had a bit of a, a cat emergency in the middle of the night oh. because, like most pet owners, my cats like to wait at least until it's the weekend to let me know they don't feel well, and then, mm-hmm. if possible, a holiday weekend. Like, oh, they, no. they really, really enjoy those. So I was at the emergency vet in the middle of the night uh, and then just stressing out the rest of the time at home. So here we are. It's <laughs> no good. Yeah, but he seems to be okay. we got to go back for more tests yeah. and stuff, so... But right now, he seems fine. I'm like, why, why couldn't you do the things that you did <laughs> for me at the vet? And then we could figure out what was wrong. Yeah. He's like, eh, I just put on a little show for you. So. <laughs> oh, man. We once had my dog, Lola. We took her to the vet because she was limping. And then as soon as we got to the vet, she was just jumping around, like, <laughs> totally fine. She was obviously faking it. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. It's like a, it's also like a whole new environment. Mm-hmm. You know, like, when conditions change, like, it makes them, like, act differently. You it's know? true. Yeah. Like, my, like, I was really worried because my cat wasn't using the cat box. And the vet mm-hmm. was like, do you often stare at him when he's in the cat box? And I was like, no, this is the, <laughs> this is the first time. And she's like, well, maybe that's why he wasn't going. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that could be true. true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making it worse. <laughs> so, that's fun. But I am... So excited about all of the books that I have to talk about today. I read almost all of them well over a year ago. I've been waiting. Mm. But before <laughs> I mention that, Danica, surprising no one, you are now a permanent member of the Book Riot yes. staff. Woohoo! We knew that would happen. I mean, you filled in for <laughs> Kelly on her maternity leave, and mm-hmm. like you're so awesome. We knew that that you'd have to stay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe you didn't, or maybe you just don't want to admit, like, hey, I'm the best, but you're awesome. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Thank you. Yeah, I told them I'd just hide in the vents if they didn't keep me, so I think they had to. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, um, okay. <laughs> like, you know what? It's easier. We'll just keep you here. Yeah. Yeah, I was very excited. Lots of lots of exciting stuff changes the other day yeah another all the books co-host vanessa she moved up to our managing editor Mm -hmm. and that was exciting and sharifa has moved up and just Mm -hmm. all kinds of new people all kinds of things going on yeah big things happening it's exciting yeah i was very excited and everyone is so good at secrets because it was just (laughs) like on thursday was it Thursday they made the announcements. I we think were all so. like, what? <laughs> so that was fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, 
We it's it's sixty degrees right now in Maine. I just want to point out that it was like ninety five two days ago, and now mm. it is sixty degrees. It's ridiculous. Yeah, ours is, has gone up. I don't know how to convert it, but <laughs> it, <laughs> it was nice and cool yesterday after a heat wave, and now it's starting to creep up again. Oh. It's just the end of the world. Yeah. It's just bananas. But, I mean, it is nice now that I'm recording in the office. It's because I got an air conditioner for the office, so now it's just going to be cool the rest of the time. (laughs) Man, during the heat wave, our entire city was sold out of air conditioners. Yeah. Every spot. And fans. And kiddie pools. (laughs) Yeah. Same here. Yeah. They just all go. And it's like, doesn't everyone have one by now? You know, like every year it's like, how did we sell out of these when it seems like everyone already has one? <laughs> yeah, well, here it like never gets that hot. So yeah. almost no one has an air conditioner. So everybody just ran out and tried to get one. Oh, well, yeah. I know what business to go into next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Sadly. <laughs> All right, so I think we covered the basics. We talked about cats and Mm -hmm. the weather. So now it's time to talk about books. Yes. But before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsy Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so this book, oh my goodness, this is one of my very favorite books of the year. I am so in love with this novel. I think I talked about it on the preview show last year, um, but if not, you know, whatever, I'm going to talk about it now. It is called Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead by Emily Austin. It is the funniest book that I have read in forever. Like, just laugh out loud. It's also heart-crushing 
And it has my very favorite ending now. It's my new favorite ending. It's so awesome. It's about a young woman named Gilda. She is a 20-something atheist animal-loving lesbian who is having a tough time of things, and she keeps finding herself in awkward situations. She really likes to keep to herself, and she finds herself apologizing all the time for things that aren't her fault, but she hates, like, bothering anybody or putting anybody out. Like, at the beginning of the book, she ends up in a car accident that wasn't her fault, and she's, like, apologizing to everybody for having to, like, help her, even though she's, like, seriously injured. Like, her arm is injured. And she just, she just always finds herself not being able to say no or in these awkward situations. And because of this, this is how she winds up working as a receptionist at the local Catholic church. Like, she went, she went into the church to look at a flyer, and the priest thought that she was there to apply for the new receptionist job, and all of a sudden, she's the new receptionist, even though that was not her intent. Even though, you know, it's the Catholic church, and now they've got her handing out pamphlets about how being gay is a sin and all the stuff. She's like, I can, I can just fake this and handle this. You know, I really need a job, and I'm just gonna try this out for a while. Uh, She also becomes very interested in the job because she finds out that the woman who had the job before her, Grace, uh, died. And she becomes very interested in Grace's life because Gilda gets this email through the work inbox from one of Grace's elderly friends. And she did not get the news that Grace died. So Gilda feels really bad. She doesn't want this woman to know that her friend died because she obviously cared for her and hasn't seen her in a long time. So she starts pretending to be Grace and, like, responding to this woman and having conversations with her, which are, like, some of the most meaningful conversations she's had with anyone in a while. And so while she's working at the church and keeping up this charade of being Grace, you know, she she still has a lot of anxiety and a lot to deal with in her own life. Gilda is, like, deathly afraid of dying, like, pun intended, uh, and she spends a lot of time fixating on it. So there is a lot of discussion of that in the book. She just, she's constantly, like, wondering, like, what is life is like and what is life, what happens, like, after you die, and, and she thinks about this all the time. Um, she has a lot of trauma from her childhood. She has a lot to unpack because her parents were very strict and they were not understanding. They don't... When Gilda tells them that she's gay, like, they tell her that she's wrong, that it's just a phase, that she's going to get over it, and they're not supportive at all. Um, She has a younger brother, and they're also uh, very awful towards him, and so she doesn't really have any family support. And then, like, as this is all going on, a police officer shows up at the church, and she's thinking, oh, you know, the jig is up. Like, they caught me. I'm not really a, you know, straight, you know, woman. I'm I'm not really Grace. They're going to arrest me for one of these things. And instead, they tell her that they think that Grace was murdered. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, plot twist! You know, Grace, the former receptionist. And so now, Gilda decides that she's going to validate her life by solving Grace's murder. There's a lot going on, but it's it's a fantastic dramedy of errors. I mean, it's, like I said, it's one of the funniest books that I've ever read. I mean, I cackled several times. There is this thing at the beginning where this little kid draws on her cast, and I laughed for, like, ten minutes. It was so funny. But it's also one of the most sensitive and touching books that I have read in a long time. You know, I felt a lot of the time, like, how did Emily Austin know that I also wonder that? It felt like I was reading my own thoughts on the page, like, all these questions, you know, because I have a lot of anxiety in it, and I felt like I was reading my own, you know, brain thoughts on the page. I guess... 
you don't really have thoughts from any other organ of your body, it wouldn't be like, what are my heart thoughts? What are my elbow thoughts? So brain thoughts is probably redundant. But you know what I'm trying to say. And I just think that Austin did an amazing job giving voice to anxious internal thoughts. I felt like it was just one of the best books I've read about anxiety. It's an absolute, absolute treasure. I want to give content warnings for homophobia, mental illness, chemical abuse, suicide, self-harm, anxiety, murder, past animal death. She talks about a pet that she lost when she was younger. Um, And there is a car accident at the beginning. And there is also something else that happens that you're going to be like, why didn't she warn us about this? But it's not going to be what you think it is. And it's a spoiler, so I don't want to tell you. So you're just going to have to trust me. This book, I adore it to pieces. It is called Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead by Emily Austin. I can't believe I heard about this book too late to read it for the podcast because, wow, it sounds exactly like something I would love. I can't believe I didn't know this was coming out today. Oh, goodness. Like, I always, when one of you are like, I want to read this for the show, I'll be like, okay, but I might have fought you for this one. (laughs) Really, I love it that much. We would have just been talking over each other, so it's probably a good thing. (laughs) But I also have one of my favorite books that I've read this year to talk about, so it evens out, I guess. (laughs) And that's Rise to the Sun by Leah Johnson. And I want to start with some content warnings for gun violence, death, and sexual harassment. So I first have to admit that I have not yet read You Should See Me in a Crown, which is inexcusable for me, honestly. So I won't be comparing the two of them. But what I can say is that Rise to the Sun blew me away in its own right. We were going through a heat wave here, as I mentioned. And when I started the few, the first few pages of this, I realized it was exactly what I needed to be reading right then. It's two best friends driving to a summer music festival with the volume cranked, singing at the top of their lungs. And I was right. This is a fantastic summer read. It's full of music, friendship, and swoon-worthy romance. But it's also devastating. Olivia has just come off the most disastrous of a string of romantic failures. She loves to be loved and is always flitting from one relationship to the next. But she is never really herself in them. She thinks she's too loud and frenetic to be loved for herself. So she adapts to whatever she thinks her partner wants from her. The only person who really accepts her is her best friend, Imani, who's always there to pick up the pieces. So she convinces Imani to go to a music festival together to get her mind off her last breakup, despite Imani's safety concerns and general lack of interest in this venture. She promises that this will be a best friend outing, just the two of them, no romances. Tony has been going to this music festival every summer for years, but this is the first one without her father. He died recently from gun violence, and she is still reeling. The truth is, she didn't see much of her father her whole life. He was always on the road with musicians, and Tony is determined to be different. That's why she is enrolled in university starting next week. Except that the thought of showing up to class fills her with dread. She's signed up to perform at the festival competition using her father's logic that live music always brings answers. Of course, things don't go exactly according to plan. Tony and Olivia stumble into each other, and Olivia volunteers to be Tony's needed performance partner, as long as she helps Olivia collect the golden apples in a scavenger hunt. She also tries to pair up Imani with Tony's best friend, because that's even better than the best friend getaway she promised, right? 
Tony calls herself an ice queen and Olivia is an irrepressible, sunshiny romantic, which is always a fun dynamic. There's even an only one bad trope moment. Meanwhile, there are madcap shenanigans chasing down the golden apples and live music experiences and dances. As I mentioned before, though, this isn't just a summer romance. Gun violence is a running theme throughout the novel, how it's always a looming threat, including at big events like this music festival. For Tony, the idea is debilitating and brings on panic attacks. Olivia is trying to outrun what's waiting for her at home, a judicial hearing for her ex-boyfriend. Both Olivia and Tony get overwhelmed by their insecurities and fears, letting bad habits flare up at the worst possible times. This is an absorbing read that left my heart aching for Tony and Olivia and Imani. I love how much depth there is to both these characters and to everyone's interactions. This could easily have been a much simpler summer love story, and I would have enjoyed that too, but instead it feels much more messy and realistic. I appreciated Olivia's journey to recognizing both her faults and the damage that they've caused, as well as her self-worth. I know I'm the last one on the Leah Johnson train, but let me just confirm what everyone's been saying. She's a star. I can't wait to go back and read You Should See Me in a Crown now. And this is Rise to the Sun by Leah Johnson. All right. I'm glad that you got a chance to read that one because today is, of course, the first Tuesday of the month, and it means that there are so many books out today. The first Tuesday is always full of titles, and I was like, it's so hard to pick. But... I went with the ones that I had read earliest, except for this next book that I picked up the other day. I was like, you know, this one looks really intriguing and I want to read it. And wow, did it blow my mind. It is called Build Your House Around My Body by Violet Coopersmith. This book turned my brain inside out. Inside out. Just, I read, I did not read the description of the book. I just read the very, like, top of the blurb which was like this is about a half century of vietnamese history and folklore and i was like oh okay and it has this amazing review on the cover from kelly link who is you know kelly link is the queen so i was like i'm in i'll read this wow was this not what i was expecting i was expecting like oh historical fiction fine oh my goodness it's so much much more It is a chilling, thrilling epic that spans, like, 50 years. It's a series of interlocking stories and puzzles and mysteries. There's several characters throughout the book, and they come across each other in different ways. I love a story like that where, like, you know, the guy selling you a slice of pizza turns out to be this person in this other book. I mean, in this other part of the book, and just amazing. So the character that we spend the most time with in the book is named Winnie. She is a Vietnamese-American who has gone to Vietnam to teach English to Vietnamese people. Most most of them are there because they want to get jobs as uh, travel guides, and so they're learning they're learning English. Winnie is not very good at her job. She's kind of she's kind of really really bad at her job actually, and doesn't do very much. And she's just like waiting to get fired. She's kind of. Just not happy in general. And we don't know at the beginning, like, why she's there. But what we do know is that it's 2011 and Winnie is going to go missing about 11 months after she arrives in Vietnam. We don't know why. So she goes through, you know, like, in different parts of the book, it goes back and forth throughout time. Um, You know, she is working her job. She's not really making any friends. Uh, She meets up with this guy that her brother knows who takes her on a tour, but he's, like, a terrible person. Like, there's all these parts to her story. 
We also, there's another part of the book about the teenage daughter of a wealthy Vietnamese family who is running from her family and gets lost in an abandoned rubber plantation and strange things are going to happen. And I mean, like, strange things. At the very beginning of this book, supernatural things start to happen. And they're for real. That's not, like, imagined or, you know, the dreams. Like, you just have to go along with the fact that these very scary, weird things are happening. There's a group of children who we see later on as adults uh, who are kind of delinquents and they get in a lot of trouble when they're young. And then as they're older, they take on these different roles. Uh, There's a priest. We see him when he's very young. And then later on, he specializes in exorcisms and starts this business performing exorcisms because, like I said, these ghosts are real. And there's scary things in the forest. There's like this ominous piece of land and we don't know why it's scary or what happened there. We just know something happened there many years before. Uh, but they're going to go back in there. And it was bananas. I was so on board with all of it. I mean, it's just, it's dark and it's sad and it's scary, but it's also beautiful. And I was rooting for all of these people, you know, and we, we want to find out like what happened to Winnie, you know, and, and how do these ghosts find peace? Because these ghosts, you know, in, in Vietnamese folklore, they're they're upset for a reason. Like they have unresolved issues and they need help and the descriptions of the country are just gorgeous. And I was so thrilled because, like, this was not at all. I was just like, this is going to be, like, history. I was not expecting, like, ah, ghosts and, like, people coughing up things and just scary stuff. So I do want to give content warnings for violence, racism, murder, body horror, gore, animal death, chemical abuse, and mention of sexual assault. This novel was absolutely incredible. It is called Build Your House Around My Body by Violet Coopersmith. I've heard such good things about that one. I've also heard that you should take notes while reading it. It sounds like it has a lot. There, there is a lot. Yeah, there is a lot going on. And I didn't I didn't find like I needed to take notes, but if I read it in one sitting. So if I set it down, mm. I probably would have, you know, had to. That's just how I do things. <laughs> <You laughs> yeah, know? that makes it a little easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also have a kind of ghost story book to talk about, and that's Temple Alley Summer by Sachiko Kashiwaba. And I fully admit that what drew me to this book in the first place was the stunning cover art and the promise of more illustrations inside. I'm glad I did, though, because this took me on a journey I was not expecting. It's a middle-grade novel originally published in Japanese, and it follows Kazu, a fifth grader who sees a girl shrouded in white leaving his own house late at night. He just stayed up watching a ghost story marathon, so he is understandably freaked out. The next day, he sees the same girl in his class, and even weirder, he's the only one that doesn't remember her always being in their class. In fact, apparently she has lived next door to him for years. Kazu falls into investigating this mystery when he finds out in an offhand way at school that the street he lives on was originally called Kimyo Temple Alley. Kimyo from characters meaning back to life, basically. What I liked most about the story was that it felt like a scavenger hunt. Kazu kept running into walls while trying to figure out what was happening, but there was also always some new thread to follow. Investigating his home's history turns into looking for a lost artifact, which turns into hunting down a serialized story in a magazine from the 40s. In fact, the biggest surprise was that about a quarter of this book is a completely different story called The Moon is on the Left. 
This story is fairy tale like and haunting. It involves a girl who's sold by her family to a witch who makes her dive in freezing water all day searching for a lost pearl. This story has a different font and a different illustration style. It looks like block print illustrations. I don't want to get into too much depth because this is a quick read and I don't want to spoil things, but I will say it's engrossing and wide-ranging in a way I don't usually get from middle grade. I thought Kazu was an interesting character. He's a little immature and he calls himself a scaredy cat, but he's also compassionate and fiercely defends what he thinks is right. The Moon is on the Left also had me completely drawn in and it had a very different feel from the main narrative. If you want something a little surprising and haunting, I recommend this Japanese ghost story that will defy your expectations for a ghost story. And that's Temple Alley Summer by Sachiko Kashiwaba. Yay, more ghosts! Ghosts! (laughs) So my next pick is a book that I enjoyed so much that I feel like I haven't heard anyone talking about yet. So here we go. I'm going to tell you and you're all going to want to read it. It is called... The Very Nice Box by Eve Gleishman and Laura Blackett. Now, I have never been in an Ikea. I think the closest one to me is like an hour and a half away. For some reason, I've just never been in one. But also for some other reason, I really enjoyed these Ikea company spoofs in books that have been happening a lot lately, like Finna and Horror Store. And this is another one where there is a company that is like Ikea called Stata, It is this very popular Brooklyn-based furniture company. And Ava Simon, the main character, works at Stata. She designs storage boxes, and she is looking to make the perfect box. I did not realize it was possible to learn this much about just making a box or thoughts about making a box, but it was so fascinating, all these things that she tries out and thinks about while she's trying to create just the perfect box. And I mean just like, you know, walls with nothing in it. It's a box. It's incredible. Ava has always been a very dedicated, hard worker at the company. She's kind of an introvert, and she is even more so now. She's become very isolated since the death of her girlfriend, who also worked at at Stata. Um, There was a horrible car accident. Her girlfriend was killed. Ava was severely injured, and she recovered and went back to work. But her girlfriend was really the outgoing one. She was the one that got along with everybody, and... It's hard for Ava to realize that a lot of her coworkers also miss her girlfriend. And Ava's just become, like, very isolated from everyone. And she's more determined now to create the perfect box than ever. And then a new boss comes to Stata. His name is Matt. He's very gregarious. And he comes with this amazing resume. He's very accomplished. He's young. He's got all these ideas. And everyone loves him. Everyone thinks he's so much fun. But... He kind of needs validation, and what he really wants is for Ava to like him because she's sort of standoffish and doesn't have any interest in in meeting him or learning about him. So he works really hard at, like, getting her to like him because he's he's really immature and fun, and, you know, everybody likes him, and eventually, you know, she starts to like him too. He goes out of her way to help her. He gives her rides to work, and eventually a relationship starts up, and they begin dating. Um, And for Ava, this is very different. You know, she's dating a man now. Her coworkers kind of gossip about it, you know, because, you know, first of all, she lost her girlfriend, and secondly, now she's dating a man. And Ava is, like, whatever. She's just happy to be close to someone again. Like, it feels nice to, to be in a relationship. But then Matt begins to change, and Ava finds herself struggling to understand what is going on. 
I can't say too much more without giving anything away. I will just say that this book is fantastic, first of all, and it's hard to classify. It's a comedic novel, like there are very funny parts. It's a beautiful novel and a heartbreaking novel about grief and trauma. It's a maddening look at male entitlement. It's an examination of love and sexuality. It's a thriller, not all, not through the whole thing, but in parts. And the ending will have you you cheering. I was like, wow, was not expecting that at all. It's got very, very dry, dark humor. And I think this book might might be polarizing. I think that some people are going to love the end and some people are going to be like, what? But I absolutely loved it. I want to give content warnings for homophobia, trauma, depression, grief, toxic masculinity, and gaslighting. And I also want to give a heads up that the car accident that takes place that causes the death of her girlfriend is very detailed and and very drawn out. So if that is something that you avoid in books, then this is not the book for you or you're going to want to skip over that part. Uh, it is called The Very Nice Box, and it is by Eve Gleichman and Laura Blackett. And now we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Danica, what do you have for us next? Yeah, I know there were so many books out today, but for some reason, I just had really bad luck picking them. I started <laughs> about four books that were out today and DNF'd them all. So I am also talking about a couple of books that came out in June that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet, and they're amazing, and you should know about them. So I'm going to talk about them. 
The first one is The Legend of Auntie Po by Xing Yin Kor. This was out June 15th. This is a middle grade graphic novel about a 13-year-old Chinese-American girl's life at a logging camp. May is the daughter of the camp cook. She helps out in the kitchen and spends her free time spinning yarns for the other children at camp, especially about Po Pan Yin, or Auntie Po, which is a Chinese-American matriarchal version of Paul Bunyan. She is best friends with, and obviously has a crush on, B, the foreman's daughter. In the background, though, is the constant hum of anti-Asian racism. The Chinese workers eat separately from the other workers. A sawmill that employed Chinese workers is burned down. May is keenly aware that she's losing something. She no longer prays, she doesn't know her grandparents, and her Cantonese is rusty. She's caught between traditions she feels disconnected with and an American culture that doesn't accept her. Auntie Poe is the bridge between them, a blending of cultures and a way of adapting tradition to make it relevant to her. Not only does May tell stories about Auntie Poe, she also begins to see her, especially when things get hard. Auntie Poe and her giant water buffalo, Pepe, become a source of hope and inspiration for her, and it's left ambiguous whether or not she is actually real. The foreman claims that May and her father are like family to him. But May's father knows better than to take him at his word, even if their daughters have grown up together. The story explores friendships across racial and financial differences in both these generations, between B and May, as well as their father's relationship, and how fraught these can be. May's father soon finds himself choosing between the man he's called family and his own safety and comfort. I enjoyed the watercolor illustrations with Digital Lion's art style, and there are some stunning spreads. Pepe especially is a delight whenever he makes an appearance. This is a quick read, but there are a lot of different aspects to dive into. I think this is a book that could act as a great conversation starter with young readers. As for the queer content, May's crush on B is obvious, and they hold hands and dream about a future together. But this isn't a romance. It's the kind of adoring friendship with occasional blowups that you'd expect between 13-year-old girls. Not long ago, this kind of relationship in a kid's book would likely have been dismissed as a close friendship, but the author's note makes it clear that May is queer, and I think we're finally at a point where queer content doesn't have to be spelled out to be obvious. This is a thoughtful book about a topic of U.S. American history not often written about in middle grade books, and I highly recommend it, and that's The Legend of Auntie Poe by Xing Yen Kor. All right, my last book today is a big one. It's almost 600 pages, and it's awesome. It's called Lights Out in Lincolnwood by Jeffrey Rodkey. I believe this is his debut adult novel. He has written several novels for kids. He co-wrote a book with Kevin Hart. He's a screenwriter, but I think this is his debut adult novel, and I positively loved it. It takes place in Lincolnwood, New Jersey. It's about the Altman family. The father, Dan, is a screenwriter. He used to be a lawyer. Now he's a screenwriter. Uh, The mother, Jen, she is a stay-at-home mom. She gave up a very successful career to raise their children, uh, Chloe and Max, who are now teenagers, disaffected teenagers who spend all their time looking at their phones and not communicating with their parents. And they have, like, the usual problems that people encounter in their lives. Dan's having a hard time with his demanding boss. Jen is a secret alcoholic. She drinks at home when the children are gone because the children don't really need her to be home anymore and she doesn't know what to do with her life. And she begins drinking and it's gotten out of control and she doesn't 
know how much longer she can keep it hidden from her family. Uh, Max is dealing with a bully at school, and Chloe is stressing out about her college applications. And then one day, on like a seemingly normal day, the power goes out in the whole neighborhood and stays out, and no one knows what has happened. And so there's like this, they're in this beautiful suburban neighborhood, and everything kind of just stays normal at first, because what do you do? You know, you know, like in pop culture, they would have you think that as soon as the power goes out, the world dissolves into chaos and everybody, you know, sets fire to everything and starts eating each other. But actually, it's just like, well, let's wait and see what's happening. And but nobody's getting any news about what's going on. And the power doesn't come back on. And now it's like, what was life like before you could find out, you know, where someone was like before you could text somebody and be like, hey, where are you? How far away are you? Like when you before you could keep track, which was not that long ago, you know, like when I was a kid, we used to run around all the time. Nobody knew where we were, you know, like what, like they're learning again, like what that's like. If the children leave the house, like they can't get in touch with them. What are they going to do? Do they let them leave the house? And what was it like before you spent hours staring at screens all day? You know, suddenly like things have changed. The children become more rebellious. Jen can't hide her drinking anymore. Dan feels inadequate because he doesn't know what he's supposed to do in the situation. Like, is he supposed to go all, you know, primal and do those things that they show you in pop culture movies where, like, they, you know, store up on food and weapons and, you know, he doesn't know what to do with himself. He, f- he feels like he's failing his family. And, you know, they kind of have to learn about their relationship to each other again because they haven't been communicating for many years now. They have taken each other for granted. And suddenly they find themselves in this situation where they're dependent on each other again and they don't really know each other anymore. You know, I learned at a young age because, like, you think, like, what would, like, who would be around me if something like this happened, you know? I learned at a young age that you should surround yourself with smart people, like, people who are smarter than you, because then when something like this happens, you're not the one that everybody turns to. Like, that's my, that's my bit of advice for everyone. But it's so good. This book is 600 pages and it felt like it was half as long. If you like Tom Parada, if you like Emma Straub, uh, if you enjoy Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam, I think you'll really enjoy this book. It is Lights Out in Lincolnwood by Jeffrey Rodkey. I love those kinds of stories where everything just suddenly changes and you have to adapt. It's such a simple concept, like yeah. the power goes out, but I it gets me every time. <laughs> it felt very realistic. I mean, I don't, you know, I think I've had the power out of my house for like two days once, you know. Ooh, I, did, I didn't yeah. eat anybody, at least that I would admit to <laughs> on the show. So, you know. You got through it, yep. however you had to. <laughs> All right. And my last pick is Indestructible Objects by Mary McCoy. And this one is another one that was out June 15th. This book actually inspired two of my recent Book Riot posts, Surefire Ways to Get Bad Goodreads Reviews No Matter How Good the Book Is, and In Defense of Messy Queer Books. So one of my favorite things to read is flawed main characters, characters who make mistakes, mistakes that they really knew better than to make. I can't stand negative reviews of books based on the protagonist having flaws, which made me want to gather this book up to my chest and defend it from those negative reviews I could see looming. Lee is lost. She's messy. She's hurt people. And she's also finding herself and trying to work her way through them. And I am firmly in her corner. Indestructible Object takes place in the summer between high school and university. Lee is an artist from a family of artists, and she has devoted herself to a podcast she makes with her boyfriend called Artists in Love. 
Her picture-perfect relationship and her passion both shatter simultaneously, though, when he breaks up with her to move to another city for university. Now she's trying to figure out what to do with herself, and in her panic, she endangers the job she loves doing sound for a cafe, as well as any chance she had of Vincent and her getting back together. If the lost job, failed relationship, and finished podcasts weren't bad enough, her parents are separating. They haven't been together properly for years, but they're finally moving into separate places, and her mom is traveling while he packs up. That's when Lee finds three objects that make her doubt the validity of her parents' relationship in the first place. A passport belonging to her dad that was dated months before she was born, a hidden videotape of their engagement party that she can't find a VCR to play, and a book of poems by her mother dedicated with love to another man. She decides to start another podcast, trying to put together the pieces of the mystery of her parents' marriage. Why did they get together? Was there a fatal flaw to begin with? And if so, can Lee avoid it so she can find real lasting love? What Lee isn't admitting about her relationship with Vincent is that it was never perfect. In fact, she was cheating on him with Claire from the coffee shop she worked at. She is closeted and she is confused by Vincent's disinterest in sex, which is not an excuse, but her decisions make sense, especially when she's struggling to understand herself. I appreciated that when she admits to cheating to a queer friend who tells her she's enacting a negative stereotype, she thinks, I'm not trying to defend what I've done, but I also don't think I should be expected to model ideal bisexual behavior, whatever that is, at all times. When straight people cheated, they weren't failing the whole straight population. They were just failing one person. Lee also realizes that she's polyamorous and doesn't want to be in a monogamous relationship. She commits to honesty in her relationships going forward, of course. It's still very rare to see YA tackle polyamory, so I was happy to see that. My heart hurt for her when she finally realizes what she really wants out of her life, and she tears up because it's too much to want, an impossible dream. At least that's what it seems to her. I also thought that Max's subplot, the queer friend I mentioned earlier, was fascinating. He has two queer parents, one of whom is non-binary, and when he comes out as gay, they were unsurprisingly supportive, especially of his relationship with an idyllic boyfriend. Now, though, he has experienced sexual fluidity, falling for a girl, and has picked up a punk aesthetic from her. His parents don't approve, and he feels rejected now that he is an untidy queer instead of what he refers to as a Love Simon gay. This is a complicated queer story, which I am always here for. I also really enjoyed that this story is told partly in podcast transcripts, especially because they sounded like a podcast I would listen to. Leah is trying to do an investigative podcast of her own family history, but it isn't so easy to sum up into a coherent narrative, especially the more she delves into it. It also foregrounds Memphis as the setting, digging into the problems and appeal of the city. This will appeal to anyone with an interest in art because Lee, her family, and her ex all make their art a priority. I loved this story, and I think it deserves a lot more attention. And that's Indestructible Object by Mary McCoy. I love that podcasts and books have become like a genre now, like a subgenre. Yeah. Like, I've read dozens of them over the last couple of years. Like, it just happens all the time now. And I love it. I really think yeah, it's fun. Too. Because usually, I mean, <laughs> usually they're mysteries, but not always. But I've just mm-hmm. read so many great books recently. I mean, it's probably been a few years now. Like, I think there's that Apple TV show 
with um, Octavia Spencer that has like a podcast in the story that came out. Oh. I mean, it's been going on forever. What is time? I don't know. <laughs> but I, I love podcasts and books. It's really fun. Yeah, me too. So those are our awesome new books. What are you going to read next? I am just starting The Secret to Superhuman Strength by Alison Bechtel, which is her newest graphic memoir. And obviously, I'm loving it. Alison Bechtel is amazing. And we've been waiting so long for her next book. So I'm really happy with it. What are you reading? I got my two most anticipated fall books on the same day and nearly passed out with excitement because, <laughs> and like anxiety because I couldn't decide which one to read first. Mm. So I've just started reading like one chapter of one and then another chapter of the other. The first being <laughs> I Came All This Way to Meet You, Writing Myself Home by Jamie Attenberg. This is Jamie Attenberg's first work of nonfiction. And I am obsessed with all Jamie Attenberg novels, so I'm really excited to check this memoir out. And so far, it's incredible. And I also got, I think I just mentioned this last week or the week before how excited I was for this. I got Wish This Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics by Dan Shaughnessy, which is, you know, smack in the middle of the Liberty Wheelhouse. I love Larry Bird and all things Larry Bird. Uh, So (laughs) I'm really excited about that one, too. Just, you know, more books, excitement in general. Nice. Yes. I love <laughs> books. You know, like I always love books, but sometimes I'll be in my office and I'd be like, if I had a big pile of books, I would roll around in it right now like a dog in the grass. I just want to love my books and roll on them. <laughs> like I feel like extra love for books. I get like that a lot. Um, yeah, surprising I no get one. That too. But it's just, you know, sometimes I think about it. I'm like, here are these objects that we all love so much. And I, what I love about readers sometimes is that we never question like whether they're a necessity or not. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like when you're a reader, you get books and that's just how it is. It's not like, well, you know, maybe I don't need books or maybe I don't need to read. Like, it's not it's not a question. It's just like something that you do, like a part of your life as if it's like breathing, you know. And yeah. I love that about readers and how many books there are and how exciting it is when they come out. I'm just going to keep going on and on, so I'll <laughs> stop right there. But yay, books. Yay, books. But that is it for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Danica hangs out on Twitter at lesbrary, which is L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. Well, that's another book I just got, the new Jonathan Franzen. I'm going to read it and see what it's like. <laughs> Ooh. Anyway, uh, but if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, all of you who have done so in the past and all of you who will do so in the future. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading!